THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Creators like longtime listener and friend of the show Carl Smith and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter. Hacha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 509 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. Next week's 510 super show is going to be amazing. It's a landmark show. Massive. My name is Matt Bob, <laughs> And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. In this week's episode, we continue our Christmas offensive by digging in the trenches with reviews of 10 of this Wednesday's new comics with DC in the spotlight as we ruthlessly dissect... Shazam and Martian Manhunter numbers one. I think it's Shazam. Then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum deep in the bowels of the ziggurat, where we'll discuss our must-read picks for next Wednesday after that, where we're living our 90s glory days. Remember how good-looking we used to be? We're going to sit down for an interview with our very own Jason Sachs, the THN historian Jason Sachs, to discuss his latest collection of comic book history. But... Before we slap this episode on the butt and send it running, let's fire six shooters in the air and celebrate our newest time waste, Red Dead Online, where it turns out it's impossible to make money and buy anything. Yeah! <laughs> and then we can posse up for this week's Nerd News! Netflix has decided against renewing Daredevil for a fourth season with a stated decision to, quote, close this chapter on a high note. They, quote, decided against. Is that what they're saying? That's what it says, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, here's a quote from Netflix. Marvel's Daredevil will not return for a fourth season on Netflix. This was in a statement given to Deadline. We are tremendously proud of the show's last and final season, and although it's painful for the fans, we feel it best to close this chapter on a high note. Just shut up. Just shut up. They are uh, such liars. It says in the first line, Marvel's Daredevil will not return for a fourth season on Netflix. You, we, you liars. It's now, of course, it's not going to be on Netflix. It's coming to Disney+. Plus. Don't give us this, oh, we're so sad to see everyone go. It was a huge hit, and it got better reviews than any other seasons and was more watched than any other seasons, but we shot it in the head. Nope. Hey, you're putting the car before the horse here. <laughs> With their announcement of this conclusion, however, the streaming service made it a point that Marvel had further plans for the character. Of course. While on the ser- uh, while the series on Netflix has ended, the three existing seasons will remain on the service for years to come, while the Daredevil character will live on in future projects for Marvel, reads Netflix's statement. Marvel Television and Netflix still have agreements for a third season of Jessica Jones and a second for The Punisher, uh, so they might be referring to the idea of Daredevil showing up there. No. Or they might be referring to Daredevil rematerializing on the Disney service. Yes, absolutely. We don't know that. Uh, no, we don't know that, but come on. They're focusing on movie characters. Let's, like They're bringing their movie stars. Let's be honest here. And They own Daredevil. Yeah. It's their creation. Yeah. They came to Netflix and said, yeah, we would love to do another season. It'll only cost you a million billion dollars. And Netflix went, um, I mean, we have a million billion dollars, but you're, we want to spend it on the next like Lost in Space and shit. You're, you making, <laughs> you're making stuff up. No, you know that they're taking this to Disney Plus. You know they are. And we, maybe it's not Daredevil the way canceled, we know it. 
maybe they're going to do another like Defenders type thing or some shit like that or Heroes for Hire featuring Daredevil, Iron Fist, and Power Man or some shit. You always do this thing where you assume that you know why a thing it's, is happening. It's too obvious. It, when we know from previous cancellations that Netflix has decided to move away from content that they do not completely control. Okay, or people are moving it away from them because they want to control it because they're going into direct conflict with Netflix. We don't know no nothing, so you know, don't act I like mean, you do. Come on. Uh, of course, this comes after similar decisions to cancel Luke Cage and Iron Fist. Marvel has not made a formal statement regarding the decision. However, Marvel's Twitter account for the show posted an image from the season finale with the caption, Justice Never Stops. They're taking it to Disney+. Plus. They absolutely are. There's no way well, they're that, not. I mean, that's the hope. It's too big of a hit to just be like, eh, can't. You don't cancel shit because it's a success. That doesn't make sense. I agree that you're right there, but... I, I'm not saying I know. I'm, I'm not saying I know. I'm saying... Dollars to donuts, put your money in your mouth. But Disney's focus right now is Nerd not bet. on these. Nerd bet. Matt, I'm not making this bet because I Make want it to be real. I'm not saying. But you. I'm telling you, it's not set in stone because their focus right now is on these huge budget shows featuring their movie characters. I'm saying. They're making it, a fucking Star Wars show. It's as good as set in stone. I'm saying it. You heard it here first. Okay. Breaking news. There it is. Daredevil's coming back. Uh, when Daredevil does not have a fourth season on Disney+, Plus, you're all invited to the ziggurat to kick Matt in the nuts. Here's the thing. Okay, here's the only thing that makes me think, well, maybe not so much. Because Daredevil was pretty dark and very adult. And Disney+, Plus is rumored to not have yes, real adult it's content. It's not, like, no R-rated stuff. Now, this is where Hulu could come in because they own I that did as hear, well. I did hear that Hulu might be a home for it. Runaways is on Hulu as well. Yes. Um, and there's a there's a rumor floating around that the other uh, two companies that own stock in Hulu, AT and T is one of them. I forget yeah. the other. Um, if I think they it was sell just their- Fox and AT and T, I think it was just those two. No, it's Disney. Well, now it is. It's AT and T, and there's a, there was a third like Comcast, maybe. Mm. <clears throat> if they divest from Hulu, then Disney will own Hulu outright. Yeah. And if that's the case, then all their heavy shit can go there. Yeah. And all their kitty shit can go on Which Disney+. Which I have Plus. a feeling is what they're going to do. But you can't make me buy both. You need to give me an option to pay X amount and have both. You know what I mean? Otherwise, yeah. I'm just going to continue to steal it. So, whatever. Oh, <laughs> Joe, for any law enforcement officials that may be listening, I do not pirate <laughs> stuff off the internet. Although he's not getting his own show, Chris Evans is still cap. Just well, we don't know. We think. It's done. It's, it is. It's happening. It's as good as setting Breaking news. <laughs> Put your money in your mouth, as I like to say. <laughs> Despite Captain America actor Chris Evans seemingly signaling his departure from the role with a heartfelt thank you to the cast, crew, and fans of the films, Avengers 4 co-director Joe Russo says Evans is, quote, not done as Captain America. <laughs> Given the secrecy surrounding Avengers 4, with even the actual title still unrevealed, it's possible there's a twist for Steve Rogers that could keep Evans in the MCU. For another Avengers movie, something else Russo says Marvel may be considering wants the characters whose film rights are held up by 21st Century Fox are available to Marvel Studios. What are we talking about there? We're not talking about the X-Men. We're talking about the Fantastic Four. We're talking about the Fantastic Four. Yeah, but Captain America's not in the Fantastic Four. No, he's not, but he's good buddies with them, and guess what? Well, but the X-Men as well. I, I agree, but I still think they're going to move to this more Fantastic Four-centric Marvel U in this next wave. I'm, I'm saying it's coming. I think that, I don't know, I feel like that we are 
a ways away well, from we this. Are. We are. Um, but the Fantastic Four is something that they could instantly start pushing while they figure out how they're going to retool the X-Men. So, okay. So this is this is the direct quote from uh, Russo. I think it was more emotional for him than it was for us, mostly because he's not done yet. I don't want to explain what I mean, but audiences will soon understand. I like, regardless of where we're going with the Fox characters, I want to know what that means. What does this mean for Captain America? He's going to put the gauntlet on and he becomes good Thanos, right? And now he like goes around um, unkilling people, right? (laughs) (laughs) And saving the universe. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I don't want that shit. That's awful. (laughs) He snaps his fingers backwards, I guess. I like... Uh, yeah, uh, I can't make that noise, but he, I'm not Captain America. So, <laughs> pan, pans, the reverse of snap is pans. In another interview, Russo's confessed that they would be taking a break from superhero movies after the release of Avengers Four, which I totally get. However, when asked what could get them to return for more Marvel Studios films, Joe Russo had a quick answer, one that may hint at what's in store for the MCU. Joe Russo said, "Not until they're ready to make." Secret War. No, 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 no. <laughs> yes! No. Absolutely yes! An updated Secret Wars where everybody fights. Everybody fights. They get sent to the war world and they have to fight each other. We have that was basically Infinity War. Guess everybody who's there? fights. Guess who's there? The X-Men are there. Oh! No, this oh! is uh, counterpoint. <laughs> this is a really cool idea I read uh on Facebook last night. Um Screw Secret Wars, do Secret Invasion, because you know that's where they're headed well, with the scroll of, stuff. We're sort of doing that in Captain Marvel. Well, that's uh, in the 90s. That's a, yeah. that's a prequel. But who's to say that they're not still around and Captain Marvel's this here This is like, what I'm saying. Hey, big problems, dude. I understand. So we know that the next phase is going to deal with Captain Marvel and the introduction of the scrolls, mm-hmm. and then when that flashes forward to the, to the now... I would be stunned if it wasn't some variation of Secret Invasion. Yeah, but you could run that through the individual movies. You could run that through another Black Panther. You could no, run that no, through no, no. Captain Marvel they all, 2. They all, they all build up together. They all Like lead, Civil War. They all lead together, just like every other Marvel phase, and then they get to Avengers 5, colon, Secret Invasion. Nerd bet. And Nerd at bet. the end of Secret Invasion, when the Skrulls are defeated, and that ship opens up, and all of the uh, characters that have been scrollified walk off the ship. The Fantastic Four. The there. Fantastic Four and the X Men are there. <laughs> I don't think the X Men are there, but I bet the FF is there. Why? Why do you keep pulling the X Men out? Because I think that they are going to look at it and say we're too close to that shit, and we yeah, need to right. give it some yeah. room to breathe. I agree with that. Whereas I think the Fantastic Four, because we've got is... another X Men movie coming yeah. next year. Yeah, we're too close to it. Yeah, no, I totally. So agree I, with that. I don't see that happening. Um, but yeah, like that idea when they they beat the scrolls and they rescue their friends and the FF are on that scroll ship, that would be kick ass. That would be so friggin' cool. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. I still think. And then Carol knows who they are, but nobody else does because they've been gone for fifteen years. I'm saying Secret Invasion is a through line through Carol's movies, like Civil War was in Cap. I think the scroll <laughs> subplot is going to be in every movie in the next phase until they come to the conclusion. And then you're a fool if you think otherwise. <laughs> nerd bet. Nerd bet. All right, I'll place that nerd, nerd bet. Nerd bet on. There it is. What's the point of setting it up if you don't pay it off in all the other movies? That's what all the Marvel movies do. They Look, they kick the ball down the field. I hear you. I don't think it's big enough. I think they have bigger shit going on. You don't think superheroes getting replaced by secret shape-shifting spies is big enough? I think it's big enough for the Captain Marvel movies, yes. And I think they're going to stick with that. <laughs> I, I no. called my shot already. Big we already dummy. had this argument. All right, let's talk about comics for a change. Blankets and Habibi creator Craig Thompson has announced his return to comic books with... Ginseng roots. Where did he go? I don't Was know. Is he doing something else? Um, you know, I know that like he's got 
uh, really bad arthritis. Oh, really? In his hands, like his hands are messed up, so oh, it's hard for him to draw. That's awful. Um, so I don't know if he just takes long breaks in between projects or what. Uh, this will be Thompson's first serialized story. It'll be released bi-monthly. Ginseng Roots mixes autobiographical elements from Thompson's time working as a ginseng farmer with the with stories of the history of ginseng. Of course. I mean, Sounds why, fascinating. Yeah, that's, why wouldn't he have been a ginseng farmer? Uh, here's a description from Thompson's blog. Quote, for a decade of our childhood, my brother Phil and I toiled in Wisconsin farms. Weeding and harvesting ginseng, an exotic medicinal herb that fetched huge profits in China, funded our youthful obsession with comic books. Comics, in turn, allowed us to escape our rural, working-class trappings. Part memoir, part travelogue, part essay, all comic book. Ginseng Roots explores class divide, agriculture, holistic healing, the 300-year-long trade relationship between China and North America, childhood labor, and the bond between two brothers. So not a lot going on. No, no, no. (laughs) Pretty one-dimensional. Yep. Uh, Now, if you just eat plain old ginseng root, it's like they dry it and it gets all waxy and hard. Mm -hmm. And you just eat that shit, it tastes like earwax. It's fucking disgusting. But it's like cocaine, man. You will freak out. We used to eat it before we would play at shows when I was in this band called Body by Heroin. And we just be like, ah! just totally spaz out. I don't understand. What what makes you spaz out? Ginseng. That's what it does. It's like a natural upper. Oh. That's why you take ginseng. Ginseng tea and stuff instead For of caffeine. Energy. Yeah. I see. I yeah. see. Can you just swallow it without having to bite it? I mean, yeah, but you're not going to like that either. Well, I'd rather not taste the earwax part of it. Yeah, it tastes gross, but that's not the point. So Ginseng Roots is going to begin in spring 2019 from publisher Uncivilized Books. Who is that? I don't know. I don't either. Is this a break from... who? Doesn't he normally go with Top Shelf? Uh, Top Shelf has put out his uh, projects in the past, but Top Shelf does not publish serialized comics. I guess that's true. I guess this is true. And we haven't seen a serialized comic from him. Ever. Yeah. I'm just like, you know, this... This sort of happened with Habibi, or, or I was just like, yeah, I mean, this is, sounds interesting and all. I don't know how into the source material, I don't know how into the idea I am, but I like Craig Thompson, I'm going to read it. Yeah. And then we loved it. Well, I trust Craig Thompson implicitly. Right, and I just want more Craig Thompson. Yeah. I just want more Craig Thompson, I don't care what it's about. I think it'd be cool to see a monthly book from him, where we can take it in little monthly shots, as opposed to sitting down with a 985-page tome yeah. that we usually get. Well, it'll be bi-monthly. <laughs> it'll be every other month, because he's slow. So it'll take... 17 years to finish. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I'm in. Oh, thank you, bitch. That's your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we missed a lot of stuff while revisiting our Secret Wars run. So hit us up on the THN Forum's big news section, or better yet, tune in to Cover to Cover Live every Saturday where we broadcast on our Facebook page from 1130 to 1230 Central Standard Time. See, I still think it's Central Daylight Time because we're in Daylight Savings Time. I think it changes. I don't think it's always Central Standard Time. You're an idiot. It's Central Time. (laughs) Whatever time zone you're in, we're in Central Time. You're an idiot. (laughs) It's your nerdy talk show, so damn it, you better call us at 402-819-4894 or click the call now button on our Facebook page. If you can't be there live, leave a message or send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Hot take. Uh Uh-oh. Secret Wars. Old school 80 Secret Wars. Yeah, it's not very good. It sucks. Yeah. Okay. That's not a hot take. I just want to make sure it doesn't hold up. It does not hold up. It's pure old nostalgia. It does not hold up. Any enjoyment you get from Secret Wars these days is you like the art. Right. Which is pretty, and you're very nostalgic for it. Yeah, and Venom came from there, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know. Pretty much. You really, really love Venom. Yeah, and the Beyonder's an inhuman. We all know that. Fuck. 
Bendis, <laughs> you asshole. <laughs> It's review time in the ziggurat, and some of you clever listeners have noticed that this part of the show sounds a little different. Not to give you too long of a look behind the curtain, but we do in fact record the reviews later, typically at night, and we're typically toasted. It's true. So Matt, how about starting us off with a tipsy review of Shazam number one? I'd love to. Why, thank you. My review is in fact of... Shazam, number one, from DC Comics. It's written by Jeff Johns with art by Dale Eaglesham. It's 32 pages for $4.99. Here is your solicit. The superstar team of Jeff Johns and artist Dale Eaglesham reunite to launch the first all-new Shazam! Monthly title set in the DC Universe in almost 20 years. What took you guys so long? Asks a snarky parentheses in this uh, solicit, which is kind of dumb. Teenager turned superhero Billy Batson struggles to balance school and superheroics. More parentheses. Guess which one is more fun? Question mark. But when Shazam unlocks a shocking secret deep within the Rock of Eternity, it challenges everything he knows about the world of magic and his family's future as its champions. Also, witness the bizarre team-up of Dr. Savannah and Mr. Mind as they set off to build a society all their own, which does not happen in this book. Yeah, hey, I don't remember that. Nope, does not happen here. Instead, we get a backup story with Mary Marvel. But I'll get there. Shazam is back indeed, and he brought the whole family with him. Everyone is here. Mary, Freddie, two other people I don't recognize. According to a conversation between his foster parents, Freddie has only been in the family for about a year, so I'm not entirely sure what that means for Shazam continuity, right? Uh, It means that there is none. (laughs) Okay, then. Jones uses the script to both introduce Billy to readers, including his origin and the Shazam family. Billy and his foster brothers and sisters are sharing the power of Shazam, making them more like a super gang with similar costumes, like, you know, the Power Rangers. It's a fun idea, and I dig Freddie and Mary being brought back, but wow, does Johns lay on the cute cheese here. I get it. This is a book about kids that become adult heroes when they change, but these kids feel right out of a 1980s Saturday morning cartoon. Dale Eaglesham is one of my favorite artists, and he's just wonderful drawing the main story here. He has a very classic superhero style with incredible modern detail, and it gives Shazam the timeless look and bright, hopeful tone that the book needs. I just don't know if Johns is the best candidate to be writing kids. I'm not saying I want Billy torturing small animals, or I want Mary cutting herself and Freddie strung out on oxycodone, but... What we got here feels more like a get-along gang than modern kids. The first issue does a great job reestablishing Shazam and the family in the DC universe, but the kids are almost family circus adorable at times. If this is meant to be an all-ages book, it might be too light in tone for both the young and old readers at the same time. I like it, but I would like to see a little more edge here. I'm giving it a very low buy it. I was going to give it a, a high skim. That's it. not I'm even a thing. It, we don't have like. Uh, I'm giving it a skim it. I'm saying skim it. We don't have. <laughs> high skim it. All right. Well, you didn't say anything about the Mary Marvel backup story. Oh, yeah. And the backup story was the same. And the art, it was a different artist. And it was very pretty. But the backup story, again, was so adorable. It read like a precious moments. You know, I mean, it was just 
cuter than cute. The cop walks up to Mary Marvel and goes, aren't you a little young to be out here by yourself? And she's like, no, I don't think so. Hmm. <laughs> oh, Mary. <laughs> okay. I mean, I can't believe how off base you are about this book. Like they're just so adorably cute. You yes. gotta admit it felt kind of dated. But that's okay because Shazam is a dated concept. Like I and I agree, but they're trying to bring it to the modern day. They're trying to bring it to new readers and sell them to kids. And like, I mean, and like how is a book too light for young audiences? That doesn't make any sense. I'm saying if you're trying to sell this to younger audiences, such as like, I don't know, preteens and teens, they're gonna read this and go, "Who the fuck are these kids? It's ridiculous." No, I thought it was really great. And classically, Shazam has always been a much more lighthearted concept. Even the power of of Shazam from the uh, 90s had kind of a classical style to it, Um, like a throwback style to it. Yeah, I did not like (laughs) this. I think this fit right in with how I interpret Shazam. The last thing Shazam needs is edge. I don't want edge on Shazam. That's I'm not saying a whole lot. I'm just saying make the kids a little more believable. No, no, I don't need it. A little edgy. I'm totally fine. It's a power fantasy about kids that become superheroes. It needs to be light. It needs to be fun. And this was. The art was great. It's yeah, I yes, it's cutesy, but I don't think that that's a drawback for this book. And the last thing I want is John's injecting in his faux edginess like he's done on every team book he's ever been on like and now this teen Titan gets his arm ripped off and now this teen Titan gets his arm ripped off. I don't want it. I don't want it and he didn't do it and I'm glad. I'm giving it a buy it. It was beautiful. Okay. Oh, and the very last page of the Mary Marvel story. It was so cute. I, oh my God. That, it was such a great little like callback to a stupid concept. Oh, I just thought it was so cute. Oh, you're dead inside. <laughs> dead inside. <laughs> Joe Patrick, what did you choose to review this week? This week, I am reviewing Martian Manhunter number one from DC Comics. It's written by Steve Orlando with art by Riley Rosmo. It's 32 pages, I presume. For $3.99, it didn't say. It just didn't have a page count. It is 32 pages. Here's your solicit. No matter what you know about John Jones, you're not prepared for this. We're sure it's not John Johns, right? We're sure? John Johns. John Johns. (laughs) The acclaimed team of writer Steve Orlando and artist Riley Rosmo re-team for a reinvention of the Manhunter from Mars in this twisted, unexpected series. Back on Mars... John Johns was about as corrupt as a law officer can be. And when a reckoning comes for his entire society, he'll get a second chance he doesn't want or deserve. One shocking moita and an unexpected fragment of the Mars he lost will change his life and the course of the Earth forever. Steve Orlando's story is set a few years in the past during the Manhunter's time as police detective John Jones. It's always been my favorite aspect of the character's history, and it's a great period to go back to as it presents a nice contrast to the flashbacks on Mars. I have a question. Uh-huh. And it, not that it's pertinent or it even really matters, but was John Jones, the police officer, always black? No, that was something okay. that they uh, added. I didn't think so. I just no. want to make sure. Yeah. Nope, that's a newer development. So, hashtag Comicsgate. There you go. Wham! Go yeah. get them, fellas! <laughs> John reads exactly as I've always known him in the police scenes, and again, when he's shown interacting with his family in the past. What really caught me off guard, though, was the depiction of John as corrupt. 
shaking down low lives on Mars for protection money. It makes the continuity dork in me cringe, but I'm interested to see how Orlando pays it off. John's got a sassy partner, Detective Diane Mead, and the banter between the two of them is right out of your favorite buddy cop show. Orlando ends the issue on a great cliffhanger that I was expecting to happen, but not so early in the series. <laughs> like, I eventually thought that this development would occur, but I thought it would be way down the line. Okay. I was all right with it. I, it no, no, I'm not a, not, not a criticism. I was just, it was surprising. Okay. Rosmo's art is incredible, but you already knew that. He packs each page full of detailed panels within panels, giving as much care to the mundane environments like John's garage as he does to the bizarre landscapes of Mars. Page packing panels. Pow. Pow. His character designs are totally outrageous. John's Purple. Sorry. <laughs> John's. Punctuation. Parabola. John's partner's hairdo defies all laws of physics. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and he depicts what is probably the first and the only portrayal of Martian lovemaking you'll ever see in comics. I really loved how much variety he added to Martian body types. We're used to seeing two types of DC Martians, green and white, and they all kind of look like the Martian Manhunter. Uh, we're dealing with a race of alien shapeshifters, so of course they'd be as varied as snowflakes. I'm struggling to reconcile Orlando's new take on what I considered one of DC's most honorable characters, but... I trust this creative team, so I'm willing to see where the story is going. And like Matt said last week, it's definitely an interesting twist on the character's familiar origins. I'm giving Martian Manhunter number one a buy it. I did not have a problem with that at all. It didn't bother me whatsoever. And I've always liked John and I've always liked the Martian Manhunter. But I think showing us that at one point he was fallible and he did some questionable shit makes him even more interesting than he's ever been. You know, this like shitty guy makes good type thing. There you go it again. Comes, just wanting to put edge and everything. No, not at all. I just think it put makes some it edge on interesting it. as opposed to the whole like over and over and over again. Look, my people, I lost my people. My Myra, she's gone. You know, like, yeah, I get it. no, it's true. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. You know, but uh, Riley Rossmo went insane here. He gets to just go completely crazy with his art. And this is the perfect place to do it. It was a beautiful book. It was a fantastic relaunch for this character if you will and I really enjoyed it it's a huge buy it so that is a skim it and a buy it for Shazam number one and a double buy it for Martian Manhunter number one we're gonna post our written reviews over at twoheadednerd.com so DC Comics can use them as evidence in court at a later date but we want to hear from you you can call us. You can email us. You can tweet at us. You can Facebook us. You can do whatever you need to. We would love to hear what you thought about these comics. Hey, Joe, you know a good place to do something like that? Uh, it's Is it THN cover to cover? I wasn't going to say that at all, but that's an even better place. Is it yes. the forums? <laughs> THN cover to cover. You can call us at 402-819-4894 anytime and leave us a message. Say, hey, you guys are fucked in the head, man. That Martian Manhunter sucked. Or, hey, Shazam should be that cute. And I'm with Joe. Or, yeah, what is Joe's deal? How come he likes everything? You know, like, whatever you want. Just call us. Fake news. Leave us a message. I don't like everything. We will talk about it live with you nerds every Saturday morning on our Facebook Live page from 1130 to 1230 Central Daylight Time, as Joe likes to say sometimes. It's what it is. 
I'm not making it up. With the first major snow of the season, Matt and I find ourselves waxing the THN toboggan and getting ready to sled through the tunnels with baseball bats in hand to smash the Moloid's children's snowmen. That's definitely a double entendre, by the way. Yeah, right. You waxing see, the toboggan. <laughs> <laughs> Sledding through the tunnels, I get, right? Yeah, I get it. It's yeah! real subtle. Slutty! You see, Matt and I are as inclusionary as we can be, except... When it comes to snowmen. Go back to Antarctica, you fucking snowman! So join us now as we cleanse the tunnels of the snowman menace while we review eight more of this Wednesday, December 5th's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed! Tell me you want snowman dating your daughter, teaching your kids. Disgusting, man. Prodigy number one from Image. Mark Millar and Raphael Alberquirque launch a title about the world's smartest man who needs to be constantly challenged. The story starts with him as the world's smartest kid, getting some very satisfying kung fu revenge on bullies after single-handedly winning a polo game. Like most of Millar's books, this one moves at breakneck speed. Seeing the prodigy as a grown man in the flip of a page, there's not much personality to the prodigy yet, and every time I say the name the prodigy, the prodigy's fire starter starts playing in my head. But the book was packed full of action and exploding with Albuquerque's amazing art. I'm giving it a buy it. You know that they don't actually call him prodigy in the book, right? He's got a name. Yeah, I just thought it was funnier to keep referring to him as a prodigy. All right. Keep thinking of the prodigy. I am a fire starter. I'm a crazy fire starter. <laughs> <laughs> My prodigy sounds like Dracula. I don't know why. Freeze, number one, from Image Top Cow. The entire human population is frozen by a mysterious global event, except for one dude. That's Freeze is the story of what happens next. I love writer Dan Wickline's premise, and the story went some places that totally made sense. Ray, who is the one man with the power to unfreeze people, does it accidentally at first. Then he cures the co-worker he has a crush on, and a few more people before finally curing a doctor, and the doctor's like, yo, maybe you shouldn't be unfreezing people so liberally until we know what the fuck's going on. Phil Sevy's art is really great. He goes for an ambitious Watchmen-style nine-panel grid and manages to make pages of talking heads look interesting. You don't see that very often. I know. Freeze number one was an unexpected surprise. I'm giving it a buy it. Defenders, the Immortal Hulk number one from Marvel. I was wondering how writer Al Ewing was going to square the circle of having an essentially evil Hulk join a team, and it seems we're not quite there yet. But Ewing's setup was really cool. There's a nice mystery, and he cleverly has Bruce Banner doing the dirty work here. Simone DeMeo is great on art, maintaining the creepy look of the regular Mortal Hulk title. But why couldn't we just do this in the pages of the Immortal Hulk? Because really? it's... Every character is getting a spotlight issue, and then they're coming together at the end. It's like, it's a mini-series. Regardless, it's a great setup so far for a team I've never cared about, and I'm curious to see where these one-shots go. For comic shop librarians, feel free to file this one under Defenders, Volume 5. I'm giving it a buy it. This book was great, and the Namor one was boring. Oh, my God. It was so boring. Ugh. I was like, fuck, man. That ruled. I'm going to read Namor now. And I was like, Jesus Christ, Chip Zdarsky. I, I know. It was boring. not good. Winter Soldier. So that's a double leave it for Namor. <laughs> yeah. Winter Soldier, number one from Marvel. Bucky is back in action, and his new mandate is to help folks stuck in bad situations with evil people so that what happened to him doesn't happen to anyone else. 
He's got a small support staff helping him out on the down low, Sharon Carter and Tony Stark, who unusually takes a back seat. I love the idea, and Kyle Higgins and Rod Rice are a great creative team. Solid writing, amazing art, awesome final page. Winter Soldier number one gets a buy it. Great. I hope it doesn't get canceled. I like Kyle Higgins. LaGuardia, number one from Dark Horse's Burger Books. Hope you're hungry, because aliens have come to Earth in Nigeria, and they live in harmony with those of us who aren't protesting their presence anyway. A pregnant teacher skips down with an alien plant and smuggles her friend, an alien plant named Let Me Live, through LaGuardia Airport to live in her grandmother's tenement. Inyeti Okorafor writes a very heady sci-fi script that sees a human race turning on what seems to be innocent aliens rather than on each other for a change. I wasn't crazy about Tana Ford's art at first. Not that it's bad. It was just a little cartoonish for this kind of sci-fi, but by the end, the art won me over, and Okorafor's story, while set in the future, seems to be a metaphor for how immigrants without a country are treated today. I'm giving this a buy it. It was cool. Wizard Beach, number one, from BOOM! In a world where humans and mystical beings grudgingly coexist, sometimes a wizard just wants to get away from it all. Tell me about it. It's not great when war is tearing apart the mystical kingdom and you're the only one powerful enough to stop it. This was a fun little story from Sean Simon, co-writer of The True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys, which was not good. No. With absolutely stunning Mike Plug-esque fantasy art by Connor Nolan. Seriously, beautiful. Wow. The script is light and kind of funny, but it's overly dialogued. The art, really fantastic. Wizard Beach number one gets a very strong skim in. Die number one from Image. Wicked and Divine writer Kieran Gillen hits us with another new series, even more precious than the critically precious Wicked and Divine. This is Gillen at his most British, which isn't a bad thing, mind you, telling the story of five kids that disappeared for two years in 1991 while playing an RPG unlike any I've seen where the players are handed their own personal die. Get it? Die! Yeah, not like murder, but like a dice. The story is described as pitch black fantasy, but comes off kind of whiny and goth to me. Stephanie Hans is working at an amazing level with her painted art and incredible colors, but her art wasn't quite enough to get me excited about these wordy turds kids turned adults that still act like precious jerks. I'm giving it a skim it. So yeah, it was pretty precious, and uh, but that's just Kieran Gillen, man. <laughs> he did. The, he wrote the same sort of shit when he was writing Kid Loki. It's the same. It's what you get with him. It worked um, in Kid Loki, though. It just didn't work for me. I, I really liked the concept. It's definitely not what everyone thought it was going to be, like no. it and Stranger Things smashed no. together. And I didn't have any problems with the RPG. They said in the book it's a it's a brand new thing that he maybe even created or found. It's obviously some sort of mystical Dumb thing. game. Uh, whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm giving it a buy it because it was beautiful, and I, I love the concept. And you're either a Kieran Gillen guy or you're not, I think, so... I try to be. I'll say that. Grumble, number one, from Albatross Funny Books. When the forces of good and evil are hunting you down, the only logical thing to do is disguise yourself as a pug and go on the run, right? Sure. That's what Eddie does until his con goes wrong and his young half-demon sorceress daughter Tala bails him out. This was a really fun issue from writer Rafer Roberts. That's three R sounds, but only two R words. With art by comics's foremost pug expert, Mike Norton. There's a ton of weird shit happening in Grumble Number 1, and I loved every page of it. Buy it. Yeah, it took me a minute to get into it, and I was like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? And then yeah. by the end, I was like, okay, this is fun. Yeah. Swagaboosh! 
is your ludicrous speed round, and fracaboosh is the sound of the evil Scourge shooting Angel Dragon in the face with a power blast, as seen in the pages of Savage Dragon number 237. You really enunciated that Scourge. Scourge. <laughs> this onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Dozo via the THN forums, or it may have been Twitter. Either way, he's on both. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you blast it directly into our faces by sending an email to twitternerd at gmail.com or hitting us up on any of our social media platforms. I did that in reverse. I recovered nicely. Still worked. That was good. Uh, and like we announced last week, all bets are off. It can be a yeah. fun onomatopoeia from any comic book ever. No rules. Just don't be sending me thwip and snicked. We get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grow up, you jerks. Come on. The hardest thing about Christmas shopping for a guy you share a body with? Hiding presents when they're not looking. So, this week in the Sanctum Sanctorum, Joe and I have agreed to look in opposite directions while we wrap our gifts for each other and talk about our must-read picks for next Wednesday, December 12th. Joe? What? Joe! What? <laughs> Without turning your head over here, why don't you tell these kids about your must-read pick for next week while we wrap our goodies? My pick for next week is Detective Comics 994 from DC Comics. It's written by Pete Tomasi with art by Doug Mankey. It's 32 pages for $3.99. I feel like I've been waiting for this forever. Yeah. It's been so long. Here's your solicit. Batman's strangest case begins as the new creative team of writer blah 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 Commissioner Gordon calls in the Dark Knight detective when there's a murder at the Gotham City Aquarium. Moida. Moida. There's been a moida. <laughs> Staged to look exactly like Thomas and Martha Wayne's crime scene, right huh? down to the playbill what? and pearls. Gross. How does this bizarre homicide tie into the shadowy monster that attacks Dr. Leslie Tompkins? This creature looks to wage a war on Batman, and it's using Joker gas to do it. Am I confused? I thought Leslie Tompkins died. No. No? Did we think she died? No. Um, so in the mid-2000s... We thought she was a bad guy for a minute there. Uh, she faked... Spoilers death. That's right. And Batman was super pissed about yeah, it. That's right. <laughs> and then when the new 52 came around, they made her young and hot. So, sure. Because they can't just have old people. You no. Know? They gotta, no. Everyone's got to be thin and sexy. Well, maybe she's working out again or something. I don't know. I don't, you yeah, know? Whatever. Um, I, I, love the, I love this creative team so much. Yes. I love Pete Tomasi. I want Pete Tomasi on Batman. I want Detective Comics to be amazing. I want Doug Mankey to draw Batman always and forever. Yeah, yes. That yes. dude is so talented. Uh, yeah, so it's. Definitely my pick. Matt, what about you? My pick is Miles Morales, Spider-Man, for yes. number one from Marvel. Spider-Man. Written by Saladin Ahmed, with art by Javier Garon. 40 pages is $3.99, and here is your solicit. Balancing his normal life, school, parents, etc., and superheroing has never been easy. But when the rhino and a cadre of mysterious criminals start plaguing Brooklyn, things take a dark turn. And Miles doesn't even know the half of it yet. Eisner Award winning yada 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 bring you the latest incarnation of the coolest character in the Marvel Universe. My spider senses are starting to tingle. I'm going to come right out and say it. I think Miles is a great character. Mm. I never read a whole lot of Miles. I fell off Ultimate Spider-Man. And, and not because it was bad, just because I was done with Ultimate Comics. I fell off Ultimate Spider-Man when they were doing that weird shit with like the X-Men and didn't the even, American I didn't Civil there. like there was a new Civil War. I, I didn't was like, even make it. What there. is happening? Yeah, they went bonkers. I came back to the character when they folded him into the regular Marvel universe yeah. after Secret Wars. And I have as and well. And that run was really good. And it's been really good. 
Um, I don't so much care about champions and stuff like that. It's just not doing it for me. Not a bad book. It's just not a book I, I feel like I, I need to read. I haven't gotten into it yet. But Saladin Ahmed writes Love awesome He's so good. comics. He yeah, wrote, yeah. Uh, if you didn't read it, Black Bolt. Mm. It's 12 issues. It was fan frigging tastic and you need to read that book. Uh, and Javier, so good. Javier Garon is really good too. That, that Ant-Man and the Wasp miniseries looked beautiful. He's totally badass. And the preview art for this looks amazing. And I like... That they're not just going, oh, like, yeah, you like Spider-Man? Here's a book that looks just like The Amazing Spider-Man. Like, no, it looks different, and it feels different, and I think it's a great choice to make. I'm excited for this. Me too. The THN trade of the week, coincidentally, goes to the American Comic Book Chronicles, the 1990s. How did this happen? I don't know. It's a hardcover (laughs) from Tomorrow's Publishing. (laughs) It's written by Jason Sachs and Keith Dallas. You may have heard of them. Uh, it's 288 pages for $44.95. That's insanity. They're huge, thick books. They're Absolute great. insanity. Here's your solicit. The American Comic Book Chronicles continues its ambitious series. Jason Sachs and Keith Dallas cover all the pivotal moments and behind-the-scenes details of the Bill Clinton years. The 1990s was the decade when Marvel Comics sold 8.1 million copies of an issue of the X-Men, saw its superstar creators form their own company, cloned Spider-Man, and it went bankrupt. It was when Superman died, Batman had his back broken, and the runaway success of Neil Gaiman's Sandman led to DC Comics' vertical line of adult comic books. It was the decade of gimmicky covers, skimpy costumes, and mega crossovers. But most of all, the 1990s was the decade when companies like Image, Valiant, and Malibu published million-selling comic books before the industry experienced a shocking and rapid collapse. These guys are so good yeah. at doing these. And if you haven't seen the other books they have, they like this. They did the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and now we're up to the 90s. And mm-hmm. oh my God. The 90s take a bunch of shit. Because yeah, there was a lot of really dumb stuff that happened. There was also some incredible stuff. Yeah, absolutely incredible absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. That points a direct line to comics you like today that would not exist without Rob Leefield's young blood. I swear to God, it's, it's true. true. Yeah, you know? no, you're right. <laughs> like, and like, look, if you really love, if you really love uh, X Men Grand Design, sure, or Hip Hop Family Tree, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you go to Rob Liefeld next time you see him at a con and you give him a big hug. Yeah, totally. Because if it wasn't for Rob Liefeld's work, Ed Pisker would probably not be. It's a comic absolutely book true, and it's easy. I think because the '90s, because we grew up in the '90s, and it's and it's easy for people who didn't or a little later look back. We and be lived like, it, you little shits. <laughs> yeah, who are like that stuff was stupid. Yeah, a lot Some of, it, of it was stupid. It totally was. But just thumbing through, we got a digital version of this. Mm-hmm. And just looking through it, I was like, oh my God. You know, just looking at these creators' names and what they did yeah. and what they set up for creators' rights and for independent comics and yep. the birth of image comics and shit. Amazing. And this book, so well put together. Just flows. Yeah. It's so great. I love it. And it's so in-depth and it's full of great like um, images showing like uh, like... Here's some weird gimmicky shit. Here's a picture of this uh, weird cover variant. Right. You know, like all the weird stuff that you've heard about, it's in there. I also like how they directly just sort of like lay this on top of history as well. Here's what was going on in the news. Here is what obviously influenced this Spider-Man All right, listen, listen. Listen, save it for the interview. Save it for the interview. Yeah, yeah. So there you have our picks for Wednesday, December 12th, but you want to know what you jerks are reading too. Yell at us on any of our social networking platforms. Tell us what you're reading, and don't forget to make sure these picks and yours are added to your pull file. It's like a little Xmas miracle that you can do for your local comic book shop all year round. It's like Christmas shoes, you know? Your retailer is, like, super poor. 
And you, he's what just the hell like, are we talking about? Please, Mister, all I want is some Christmas shoes. Is this like my a Hallmark mom, movie my mom's or some real shit? sick. What you never it? heard Christmas shoes? No. Oh man, you're lucky. No man, but I've heard Spinal Tap's uh, "Christmas with Satan." <laughs> <laughs> that song rules. And if you haven't heard Dio doing "Oh Come All You Faithful," man, you gotta check that out. <laughs> <laughs> it's real. While we're still kicking around a title for our interview segment, maybe you nerds can come up with a name, huh? Eh? Let's just skip Matt's almost clever bullshit and welcome our guest, the official THN historian and co-writer of the American Comic Book Chronicles, the 1990s, Mr. Jason Sexier Sax. Jason, welcome to the Ziggurat. Welcome back, I should say. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. You know, the, the creatures inside the Ziggurat are being much friendlier this time. As we uh, discussed earlier on the show, the book comes out. Next Wednesday in comic book, comic book stores, the American Comic Book Chronicles, the 1990s, uh, from Tomorrow's Publishing. How does it feel to finally be done with this 90s book? Oh, it's such a treat to finally be through with it. It's, uh, about, it's taken about four years to write this book. Good Lord. Yeah, we started when, when I finished the 1970s book, which was in about 2014. At that point, I pitched my editor that we should do a 90s book, and he was resisting it. Um, Tomorrow's generally doesn't produced books about the 1990s, and we had to do a little persuading to John Morrow that we should plunge ahead with it. But it turned out to be really one of the most interesting decades of comics history. I mean, we have the boom and the bust, and we have the birth of new comic book companies, new intellectual properties, and a whole slew of great material, as well as the rise of the internet, the death of the comics distribution system. Oh, I remember uh, that. Oh, so I much remember that. On. <laughs> Let me ask you, why do you think the 90s get such a bad rap? We were just, we briefly touched on it when we were talking about your book. But why does the 90s get such a bad rap? Yeah, well, I mean, some of it makes sense, right? There's a lot sure. of derivative characters. There's those silly hollow foil, a metallic foil. And I'm sorry, did you just call those silly? I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> those are this interview my, is over. Those are going to put my kids through college, pal. All right. <laughs> Maybe you're your kids kids or your kids grandkids but uh <laughs> i mean there's a bunch of that kind of stuff especially from the early days especially from rob liefeld's line of comics but there was a lot of great smart storytelling from that era too there's a lot of work that stands the test of time whether it's early valiant pre-unity titles like exo man of war oh yeah and magnus robot fighter and uh the first volume of rye is just incredible. Oh, yeah. I loved it. it. Okay, the first Magnus Robot Fighter is where we met Bart Sears, right? Yeah. That was some of his first work? Yes. I love exactly. Bart Sears so much. Lost to the ages, Bart well, Sears. Was that um, uh, Magnus or um, Exo Manowar? Exo Manowar. Yeah. Yeah. A, yeah, right. Bart Sears, who also had a long-run column in Wizard Magazine about how to draw comics. Yeah. Right? Brutes and babes. Yeah, man. Brutes and babes. That was amazing. <laughs> I mean, obviously, this book takes a phenomenal amount of time, but like, what kind of research? Like, what was the process? Did you just have to like do a deep dive through Wizard magazines or quarter bins? Like, what was the process like putting together this book? Yeah, that was kind of the big, the big uh, amount of work was. I have every issue of Wizard that was published in the 1990s, nice, as well as every comics journal, every Heroes Illustrate or Heroes magazine. I think it's Heroes Illustrated. Um, all the Dark Horse giveaway flyers, Amazing Heroes, everything I could find. Um, so a lot of it was just plunging through all that stuff. Co there was a magazine called Comics Retailer yeah. that ended up being incredibly helpful 
because like on one side you get all the hype and all the thought from the creators about how books are doing on the other side it was great to read the retailers take on things which often was completely different from what the companies were hyped. Oh yeah. They were still, I mean, it's just like, no matter like how sexy everything was like, Oh, X-Force is coming. And the new X-Men gave old retailers were like, it's a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Something just never change, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> Jason, one of my favorite things about these books is the timelines that you guys do for each chapter. Like it starts with 1990 and it just goes from January to December. And you have all these little flagpoles with information. Like, uh, I'm looking at the 1991 run right now where you've got like Silence of the Lambs came out and then you've got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 came out and uh, Graham Ingalls died like how did you guys decide what makes the timeline and like the timelines go on to sort of show like well here's why this year was was what it was like how do you make the decision between what was happening in the news movies that hit and how it influenced comics how do you make those picks a lot of that is the work of my great editor, Keith Dallas, who uh, loves to put together these timelines. And a lot of it was kind of my piping in and say, we got to mention these couple things. I think what it does is it really gives a whole kind of perspective to the era, too. I mean, if, when we think about like uh, the exuberance of Bill Clinton taking the presidency in 1993, combined with the exuberance of the irrational comic book market during that year, it kind of all fits this larger narrative, which is like everything just feels like it's changing a new generation is taking over yeah by 1999 when comics are getting smarter and there's more thoughtful creative work it's happening at the same time as the dot-com boom in which like intellectualism and new thoughts mainstream writers like william gibson were taking people's attention and that also started really growing so it's all part of this larger story i think it's important to not have comics just be this little discrete area of the world but see us kind of engage in other parts of the world too and like one of the things i like to do with the uh with the uh, chapter titles too, is tie them into real world events. Uh, so like 1993 chapters titled Nirvana, because that was the same year that Nirvana hit was the same year that image comics really hit. Yeah. So it's all part of a larger culture. So what is your favorite weird story in this book? The most ridiculous, weird story that you researched. The oddest one like that is um, why Jim Shooter left Valiant comics. Yeah. Okay. Um, that has because been like a I, mystery for a long time, right? Because I heard five different stories about that. Literally five different stories. And it was impossible to figure out which one was real. Um, so Shooter claims that um, his boss at Valiant was having an affair with the controller and they conspired to push him out. Whoa. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And he talks about that in my in the Jim Shooter book too, and it's like he goes on for quite a bit about that. Um, I heard from another source that Shooter demanded full ownership of all the IP, and they pushed him out because he was being an unreasonable ass. That's insanity, though, if that's true. <laughs> like... Another said he was just working; he was working so hard and becoming more and more unreasonable. He was just impossible to work with. Another was said that he was too much of a perfectionist to work with any of the staff members so they pushed him out for that reason and so like no one really knows and the fact that no one really knows i think is kind of cool so jason what's next for you 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 you've, you're starting a history podcast when's that coming well i'm gonna that, I'll, I'll probably launch it first of the year i have uh, about five episodes either written or already recorded nice I'm actually doing another interview with uh one of the co-creators of malibu comics tomorrow who's that uh, Tom Mason. Tom Mason. 
I don't recognize the name. Who wrote Dinosaurs for Hire. Yes. 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 Okay. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, they're such an interesting company, too. So uh, Malibu started in the late 90s. And it was this very kind of weirdly controversial company because they they didn't publish any comics as Malibu Comics originally. They were a collection of four or five different companies, all of which had different kind of IPs. Around them, like, like Sludge was one of them, and no, like, you're thinking of the Ultraverse. That oh, was I'm sorry, later. I'm sorry. Was yeah, um, Warriors of Comics was one with the, with some infamous comics by Barry Blair. There's Adventure Comics, which published you know, adventure stories. Um, so eventually, they just became Malibu Comics, and they published books like Dinosaurs for Hire, and um, I can't remember the the, the Protectors. The I protectors, think the protectors, yeah, yeah. okay. My, Okay. The bullet hole for the cover. And then Rob Liefeld happened to be friends with Mason and his partners. And one day at San Diego Con, in 91, I believe, they were just hanging out at dinner. And they pitched Liefeld on doing a new line of comics, through a series rather, through Malibu. And he said, sure, why not? Well, let's do that. And I, you know what this title's going to be called? It's going to be called The Exterminators. And here, let me draw you some art for it. And the characters look just like the characters from X-Force, amazingly. Yep. How yeah, did that? Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, they both had the same idea at the same time. Imagine. It's so strange. Imagine. <laughs> so long story short, um, when everyone decided to leave, when the, the Big Seven decided to leave Marvel and create uh, Image Comics, they first went to Malibu yep. to, to, to perform all the logistical work for them. And it's kind of like the deal that, that Image has today, except they got a small percentage of the money that, that uh, Image made through through Malibu, which was enough to just give them literally millions of dollars worth of money in the bank. So they went ahead and launched Ultraverse as this idea that could be kind of this alternate comic hero line. At the same time that literally every other company was launching new lines of comics. Yeah. In 1993, there's literally something like 28 new lines or companies of comics Good. started. God. <laughs> from Vertigo to something called uh, Ripoff Comics Magnacom. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I remember the bins just littered with... Oh yeah, small press books that you've never heard. I mean, this of. was literally right. when like the quarter bins. It, like we don't have quarter bins without that boom. Where it was just like <laughs> seriously, because back before that, quarter bins were just like here are some super whooped up old comics, and then all of a sudden it's like here's some comics that are basically in brand new condition. They have a red line on the bottom of them, but other than that, they yeah. just didn't sell. You know, and that's how I picked up books like Bloodshot, and that's how I found like Turok and stuff. I mean, I remember finding stuff like uh, uh, there were a bunch of like spoof comics. Spoof comics was I don't know if they were their own company or what, but it was this line of comics where it was just like parodies of popular oh, things, like yeah. a parody of oh, Spawn. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, I remember finding something uh, from a company I'd never heard of, but it was drawn by Adam Polina, who uh, went on to draw X Force. Yeah. It was called like the Platinum Man or something, maybe. I don't remember, but um, I, I and he was just like this big tough guy. And it's like, what are these companies? Where did these companies? Where did they come from? And where did they go? Um, and I re- I remember definitely seeing like a bunch of um, in the early Image comics on the inside front cover. Uh, mm-hmm. They had the big Malibu logo slapped on them. Oh yeah, uh, where they listed the credits. Um, so I always thought that was a pretty interesting. Part of images history. Everybody was just trying to get in on that on that boom, man. That sweet, sweet comic cash at the time. Yeah, right. All this money rushed into it, and then Dark Horse came out with Comics Greatest World and Shooters Defiant had Warriors of Plasm and all all those books. Dark Dominion, The Good Guys. 
Vertigo started, uh, Milestone Comics started that same year, which is should have been so big, and it's yeah. kind of one of the great lost comic companies yeah, of the era. It really is. Milestone was so cool. I remember when that came out. I loved yeah. it. Yeah. And then it just vanished. But all anyone remembers now is Static because of the cartoon show. But, yeah. Um, hardware. I loved Hardware. Yeah. That character was awesome. He was like Superman meets Iron Man, and he was this big, ripped-up black dude. I loved him. <laughs> well, there was a Superman character, too, called Icon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I remember... I. I I had a handful of milestone issues. They were always of very high quality, very well done, great art, great stories. Yeah, it is a shame that they weren't bigger than they were. So, Jason, before you get out of here, gun to your head, you have to pick one weird little 90s book that is your favorite odd little comic. It doesn't have to be good. It can be a guilty pleasure, you know, but one that stands out for you after going through and doing this whole book. So I had to read a whole lot of comics from the decade, and the one that surprised me the most is uh, Heroes Reborn Iron or Heroes Return Iron Man by Kurt Busiek and Sean Chen. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's, I it's uh, Tony Stark as James Bond traveling the world having heroic adventures against new versions of his old villains. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just super fun. I loved that book. And to date, that is still my favorite Iron Man design. Yeah, that Sean Chen armor is yeah. so Where they he brought cool. back the uh, the the little like crown point, points. Yeah, the pointy mask thing. Yeah. Yeah, that was so great. I loved that costume. Can yeah. I nominate one other book that I, oh, that I love? Please, please, please. I touched on it earlier, but the first run of Rye, the uh, Valiant comic, yes. is just wonderful. It's just really weird, but also this incredible note of like deep despair runs through the entire storyline. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember picking those books up and loving them and trying to tell my friends how good they were. And they were like, whatever, man, I'm, I'm reading blood, blood, you know, or, or they're like, I only read X-Men, you know, or whatever. And cause yeah. it, there was just something, there was too much. There was mm-hmm. too much. And this stuff just got lost in it and really great stuff got lost in it. So Rai, uh, Rai takes place in the future, right? Yes. yes. The 50th century in a, version of japan that's floated off into space oh, oh and yeah. our, our hero was like the 28th generation ride but it's a complete screw-up and he can't prevent the destruction of his society and it's about this continual drumbeat where he fails again and again and again such that by the final issue like everything is collapsed yeah and, that that series was and it's not in print anywhere i don't believe no they did yeah. they did some collections not too long ago I but think i think that don't was know. longer than you think yeah, yeah, they may like be when they first that. launched Valiant again, they did some of those collections, and I don't think they're in print anymore. Mm. But God, those are great reads. Ugh. Jason, we, if we're not careful, we're going to sit here and do this all day. This book is amazing, and I am it, it's just like my childhood laid bare, and I just need to read it and cry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's in shops next. It's in comic shops next week. Tell your retailer you want it. It's absolutely worth every penny. It's a great resource. This is a kick-ass Christmas gift for the comic nerd historian in your life. Always good to talk to you, Jace. Yeah, Yeah. my pleasure, guys. Thank you so much. All right, take care and congrats on the new book and good luck with your future projects. Let us know when uh, your new podcast drops and we will definitely pimp it on the show. Most definitely. Unless it's better than our show, then we're going to tell people not to listen to it. We will secretly love it. Okay? Not sure that's possible. (laughs) Jason, thanks for your time. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. 
Joe and I actually had a much longer conversation with Jason, and it was fantastic. And if you're a patron of this show, you can go to our Patreon page, and you can hear that interview. That's right. We're doing extra stuff for you guys. I know it's been a little while, but uh, just pretend like it's been awesome the whole time so these other guys will pay too, okay? So go to Patreon. Dot com backslash two headed nerd. I think that's how it works. And you can hear the full interview with Jason Sachs. It was such a great time. I could talk about the 90s all day. Excelsior! Oh. That is it, folks. With THN 509. All we have in front of us is 510. And then, who knows? Right. I mean, maybe 511. I don't know. Uh, we'll see how it goes. No one's going to care about that we'll one. We'll play it by ear. Before we get out of here, Joey, I need you to ask the nerds out there a new question of the week. All right. This week's question comes from Black Scorpion number three via the THN forums. What are the best and worst examples of changes made to our beloved characters in film and TV adaptations? trickling back down and influencing the comics. Oh, I can only think of really bad ones. Me too. Where, Me too. Joe, where would these nerds go to answer a question of the week like this? Well, uh, they could come to THN Cover to Cover, which is our weekly live call-in show. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, mm. we broadcast it on Facebook every Saturday from 1130 to 1230 Central. We do that. You and me, we do that. Yeah, us. Okay. Oh, I remember this now. Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> might. We're, we're about to do it again. Gotcha. Uh, it's been a couple weeks. Yeah. Uh, you can also go to the THN forums yes. and post your answer there. You can also, uh, uh, if you can't call in live to the show, 402-819-4894, you can send an mp3 to 2 gmail.com or leave a message on the voicemail line and All we'll the play things. it on the show. All the things right there. It's yeah. too easy. If you're new to the show and you're thinking, God, these two are fucking morons, I promise you, we grow on you like a bad fungus. And you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Hosting that many shows, it costs money, folks. And we want to thank donors like our man, Damon Chan. Our man on the streets, Damon Chan. We haven't heard from him for a while. I'm afraid he got lost on he the streets. He still donates. He still donates, so he's alive. <laughs> or they haven't just cut off his finances yet. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to all our Alaskan listeners who had a truly terrifying Friday when a 7.0 earthquake hit just outside of Anchorage. The Okay, that was two miles. The episode was two miles from my buddy Drew's place. It, like, knocked his house off of its friggin', uh, what am I trying to say? Frame? Uh, not the frame. Foundation. The foundation. Yikes. Word to you, nerds. I hope you're all right. As if living in the frozen tundra didn't make you tough enough. Yeah, you don't mess with Alaskans. They're mean. I'll tell you what. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just hulk out and push your house off its foundation. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. <laughs>